Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In London, this is The Economist. You're listening to Tasting Menu hand-picked collection of this week's stories for you to digest each Monday. I'm Richard Cockett, the Britain business editor, and on your menu, Britain's churches become campsites, Congo's Catholics stand up for democracy, and why open offices lead to closed minds. But first, Planet China was our cover line this week. China's leader, Xi Jinping, calls his grand vision the project of the century. The Belt and Road Initiative, as it's known, is a mass infrastructure investment project with seemingly ever-expanding aims. It may help some economies, we argued, but at a political cost. The term itself is confusing. The road refers mostly to a sea route. The belt is on land. Countries eager for China's financing welcome it as a source of investment in infrastructure between China and Europe via the Middle East and Africa. Those who fear China see it instead as a sinister project to create a new world order in which China is the preeminent power. Confusing or not, the plans are diversifying. Chinese maps show the Belt and Road as lines that trace the routes of ancient silk roads that traversed Eurasia and the seas between China and Africa. That was the original conceit, but these days China talks about BRI as if it were a global project. The rhetoric has expanded to include a Pacific Silk Road, a Silk Road on ice that crosses the Arctic Ocean, and a digital Silk Road through cyberspace. If this really is all about building infrastructure, it should be welcomed. Trillions of dollars worth of roads, railways, ports and power stations are needed in countries across Asia, Africa and Europe. China's money and expertise could be a big help in spreading wealth and prosperity. But concerns abound. The BRI is bound up with the growing cult around Mr Xi. State media call it the path of Xi Jinping. It has become shorthand for China's overseas aid, state-led investment abroad, and for Mr Xi's much-ballyhooed great power diplomacy with Chinese characteristics. Indeed, countries hosting Belt Road projects may live to regret their decision, we explained. BRI countries risk piling up dangerous amounts of debt, which some fear is designed to give China a strategic hold over them. Pakistan, one of the most important BRI countries, has just held an election in which candidates vied to take credit for Chinese investment. Yet the debts are so large that before long, Pakistan is likely to need an IMF bailout. So what should the world do about the Belt and Road Initiative? You can read more in this week's edition of The Economist. And if you're not a subscriber yet, you can get your first 12 issues for $12 
by visiting economist.com slash radio offer. On now to Africa and the Democratic Republic of Congo, where concern is growing about the repeatedly delayed election. Church bells are urging the unpopular president, Joseph Kabila, to quit. But he may run again anyway. Thursday nights in Kinshasa are even noisier than usual. At 9pm, above the usual din of traffic and music in the sprawling capital of the Democratic Republic of Congo, bells chime from some 100 churches. Motorbikes toot their horns and people bang pots and blow whistles. They are reminding the president, Joseph Kabila, that his time is up. Mr Kabila should have stood down in 2016, but he's managed to hold off an election until this December and he's still constitutionally barred from running. The weekly rumpus is organised by the Catholic Church, one of the few institutions in vast, corrupt Congo that functions well. But even with all the noise, the president might yet sneak through to victory once again. Although Mr Kabila is unpopular, the opposition is so fractured that if he is allowed to stand, he might well win re-election without too much cheating. Churches are being used rather unconventionally over in Britain too. As we reported in this week's issue, these increasingly neglected spaces are becoming quirky hotels. Dozing in church is usually frowned upon, no matter how lengthy the sermon. Yet at St Michael the Archangel in the Norfolk village of Booton, nodding off is encouraged. In place of a pious congregation, camp beds and chairs are scattered around the church floor. It is one of the first churches to open its doors for champing, or church camping. Tourists can hire it overnight from £49, that's $64 per adult, though they must share with the 20-odd resident vats, which perch above one of the carved wooden angels on the ceiling. Charming. In fact, England's 15,700 Anglican churches have plenty of spare pews. Only 740,000 worshippers regularly go to church on Sundays, 52% fewer than in 1970. And more than half of churches are in rural areas, compared with less than a fifth of the population. A quarter of rural churches have fewer than ten regular worshippers. But Champing is breathing new life into these hallowed spaces. The Church's Conservation Trust, a charity, welcomed the first sleepovers in two churches in 2015. Campers now have the choice of 21 locations – Though there are, of course, certain strictures. Wendy Coombe of Hereford Diocese encourages any appropriate initiative. We're not going to be allowing a casino to set up or someone to come along and run a lap dancing club, she promises. Heaven forbid. Britain, like several other countries, has experienced soaring temperatures in recent days, with blistering heat waves striking many parts of the world. Is climate change to blame? On this week's Babbage podcast, we put the question to Dr. Frederico Otto from the University of Oxford. Because we have increased the background temperature, also the temperatures of local heat waves are higher than they would have been in a world without climate change. This and a future warming, this will quite likely be an average summer and not a particularly hot summer. So better get used to it then. Our guest this week on Economist Asks was a member of a band well known for turning up the heat, ABBA. Bjorn Ulveus told Anne McElvoy, head of Economist Radio, about the melancholy beneath the exuberant voices, his musical influences and, 
most importantly, which bit of The Economist he likes best. I'm a liberal. I'm a kind of a social liberal. You sound and like the perfect economist reader. <laughs> yes. I hope you are. Yeah, I, I, I do read the, the Economist every week. And uh, it's, it's one of my favorites, the leaders, especially. I love the, the leaders in The Economist. You should come into one of our leader conferences. <laughs> Back to the print issue now and on to business. Our management columnist, Bartleby, explored the now quite common trend for open plan offices. On trend it may be, but open offices can lead to closed minds, he explained. Loneliness is a crowded room, as Brian Ferry of the band Roxy Music once warbled, adding that everyone was altogether all alone. The open plan office might have been designed to make his point. This isn't the rationale for the design, of course. The supposed aim of open plan offices is to ensure that workers will have more contact with their colleagues and that the resulting collaboration will lead to greater productivity. But in a recent study, two academics put this hypothesis to the test. The authors surveyed interactions between colleagues in two unnamed multinational companies, which had switched to open-plan offices. Face-to-face interactions were more than three times higher in the old cubicle-based office than in an open-plan space where employees have clear lines of sight to each other. In contrast, the number of emails people sent to each other increased by 56%. So why the switch? The authors suggest that employees value their privacy and find new ways to preserve it in an open-plan office. They shut themselves off by wearing large headphones to keep out the distractions caused by nearby colleagues. What's more, the planned shift to hot-desking in many companies might add another layer of disruption to the workplace. Workers roam the building in search of a desk, like commuters hunting the last rush-hour seat or tourists looking for a poolside lounger. If you planned to spend a morning quietly reading a research paper or a management tome, tough luck. The last desk was nabbed by Jenkins in accounts. Bartleby had some rousing words for disgruntled workers. The only option for everyone else is to kick up a stink until executives change their minds and provide some personal space. In other words, workers of the world unite so you can separate again. And we finish this week's tasting menu with a glance at the letters to the editor. One reader, Diane Berger from Washington, D.C., wrote in, praising Bartleby's deft use of acronyms. With much satisfaction, I have employed in conversation new acronyms that I learned in recent issues of The Economist. My lexicon now includes HIPPO, meaning highest paid person's opinion, and VUCA, meaning volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. Now my only question for Bartleby is, when the HIPPO is VUCA, are we all FUBAR? I suspect so. Well, that's the end of this week's tasting menu. Remember you can read these stories and more online at economist.com. I'm Richard Cockett. In London, this is The Economist.